This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Every ambitious high schooler in California knows how tough it is to get into UCLA, Berkeley, San Diego, or any of the other campuses that form the University of California, the best public university in the United States. So steep is the challenge, rich parents have long hired consultants and coaches, paid for tennis and lacrosse lessons, and arranged carefully designed charitable opportunities to give their children every possible edge in the admissions game. A few have even paid smart smoothies to disguise themselves and take the SAT test for their child. But the University of California no longer requires students to submit evidence of high intellectual accomplishment by scoring toward the top of the SAT or ACT exam. This is but the tip of something close to the Ross ice shelf dropping from the Antarctic continent into the Southern Ocean. Colleges, states, and school districts across the country are using the COVID-19 pandemic as an excuse to abandon testing. And unless things change, the crash will rival the thunderous roar that accompanies the collapse of the grandest of ice shelves. But unlike the Ross ice shelf, this collapse won't lift any boats, says Chester Finn, former Assistant Secretary of Education and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He's also the author of a recently released book entitled Learning in the Fast Lane, The Past, Present, and Future of Advanced Placement. Instead of creating opportunities for poor minority young people, Finn says the abandonment of testing will widen the opportunity gap. So I'm very pleased to have with me Chester Finn on the Education Exchange. To his friends, he's known as Checker, and I'll address him accordingly today. So Checker, thanks for joining me on the Education Exchange. Nice to be with you again. Thanks, Paul. Well, so Checker, I sort of summarize things in general, but what are, how widespread is this anti-testing um, movement that's out there? Well, we've had an anti-testing movement in the country for quite a long time now, basically ever since uh, tests began to be used under No Child Left Behind for school accountability and for sometimes for teacher evaluations and also for things like high school graduations. So a lot of people um, have reason to fear or dislike uh, uh, tests because they're used for things that uh, count. They're high stakes, in other words. Um, and there's been some backing away from tests even before the COVID crisis came along. Uh, some colleges went, as they call it, test optional with respect to SATs and ACTs. Um, some states that used to have end of course exams uh, for their, some of their core high school courses have stopped giving them or have reduced the number of them that they give. So some of this was going on, a, good, a, good, a fair amount of it was going on before uh, the, the COVID. But COVID then created this kind of practical moment when testing for a while became more or less impossible. Uh, college board uh, tried tried doing AP tests for kids at home um, and were waiting for the results of those, but they figured out they couldn't give SAT tests nor could ACT tests be given because those are given in proctored environments where people are grouped together and they couldn't figure out how to do an at-home version of that, so they didn't give it this spring. Um, additionally, uh, states couldn't figure out how to give their, uh, their, their end of year reading and math tests in grades three through eight as required by the federal government. 
and because those two uh, it, it take place in school, which kids weren't in, um, and in, in group environments. Um, and they couldn't figure out how to do that in a, in a reliable and safe way when kids aren't in school. So they asked the federal government to allow them a, a year's holiday from uh, what, what's usually called ESSA testing, uh, the federally required tests in reading and math. And the holidays were granted, the waivers were given by Secretary DeVos to every state now. And um, so there's going to be a great dearth of student achievement data and growth data coming out of the 2019-2020 the school year. And uh, that's not, I mean, it's too bad, but it's not surprising. What's, what's more worrying looking forward uh, is the abandonment of testing on a more permanent scale, a larger scale in a more permanent way. A few states have already rumored that they're going uh, uh, to ask for ESSA waivers again at the end of the next school year. Uh, the University of California, as you said, has basically not just done a holiday from a SAT and ACT, but so they're not going to, they refuse to look at uh, SAT and ACT scores anymore for at least California students who are applying. Um, and a bunch more colleges have uh, gone uh, test optional or test hostile. Um, and so I think that um, the, the folks that don't like tests, don't like tests to be used to judge schools or people, uh, whether they're students or teachers, are going to basically seize upon this holiday, if you will, um, and, 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 and try to make it a, a kind of permanent holiday when it comes to testing. I think we're, we're looking at a considerable risk of that in the U.S. today. Well, I can see why teachers don't want to be held accountable. Nobody likes to be held accountable. I don't like to be held accountable for my teaching. I don't want anybody doing a test, standardized test to find out if I'm effectively teaching. So I can understand that. But why do teachers object to students being held accountable for what they're being taught? You would think that teachers would say, look, and if they have to pass that test, they're going to be better students in my class. What's Why the hostility from teacher unions to holding well, stupidity. The, the mandated tests ever since NCLB, especially the annual testing in reading and math, have caused teachers um, to complain that they were only now teaching to the test that, that was squeezing out other stuff from their pedagogy or their or their curriculum, that it was making schooling boring, that it was um, homogenizing things that should be more individualized, that it was taking the professionalism out of the, their craft and turning them into kind of a, um, a spoon feeders of things the state said kids should learn. So a lot of grumping about, about the damage that they said it was doing to schooling process. Um, additionally, uh, the teachers who were averse to being evaluated themselves uh, realized that it was these tests given to kids that were generating the data that were being used to evaluate the teachers. And so they encouraged the kids and the parents to say there's too much testing. Uh, and the too much testing uh, leading to a testing backlash and leading in a number of cases to parents saying, I'm not gonna let my kid be tested. Um, I was joined to the educator um, aversion to both having themselves judged and having their schools judged because those tests, of course, also give rise to things like uh, letter grades for your school. So if you don't want to be a teacher in a D school or an F school, and if you can't be a teacher in an A or B school, then you'd rather have no grades given to schools. 
which means let's do away with the data that uh, generate those school grades too. But Checker, the advanced placement tests have not really been heavily criticized. They seem to have survived the anti-testing chatter. I am large, that's true. I, 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 I did indeed write a book about it. I'm a fan and most AP teachers welcome the end of year assessments on which their kids are validated as having learned something. Uh, yes, what's the title of that book? I want to make sure you're learning learning in the fast lane, the past learning in the fast lane. Yes. Okay, so the teachers like that test. Being an AP teacher, keep in mind, is voluntary. You want to be an AP teacher. You like teaching smart kids, um, and you, you you don't mind having your handiwork of, of evaluated by third parties on those end of year on those end of year exams. Uh, keep in mind that teachers, for the most part, are not evaluated on the basis of their students' AP performance, and, and those don't count in school ratings either. So I, I, I think teachers feel a little bit more in the case of AP that they're on the student side. That they, they and the student are a team um, uh, fighting against that uh, end of year test and hoping to triumph over it. Um, I don't think that I don't think it has the same psychology. Um, and also, to repeat, teachers, uh, advanced placement and international baccalaureate and things like that um, ask, ask for the job. Um, and they know that it comes with those assessments at the end of the year. So that does seem to have a very different psychology. Well, the nice thing about it is they actually, the, the test is something you can study for. The SAT is supposed to be a test you can't study for, that, which is a lie, of course, you can study for it. But it's supposed to not be able to study for it. But the advanced placement you can study for that's what's so good about it and other and of course exams that give in some subjects i mean there are a whole bunch of tests you can study for they have more to do with achievement than with you know sat used to be called the scholastic aptitude test and you're correct it can be studied for and coached for which is why all those um, princeton review type businesses um have business uh, to prep kids for the uh, for the SAT exam, but yeah, the AP is a good example of something you can study for, and you know what the syllabus is, and you know what mastering it requires. So maybe it's not such a bad thing to get rid of the SAT, and as as long as we have the advanced placement as a substitute. Well, an awful lot of students still don't take AP. About a third, a quarter, to, about a quarter of the kids graduating from high school in the U.S. today have taken at least one AP exam, but the other three quarters have not. Um, the, uh, uh, and, and some kids take one or two AP exams and some take 11. So there's a kind of a little bit of a mismatch there as well. And some schools- I know of a kid who just got into Harvard and taken 16, well, scored five or six, I think mostly six on all of them. Well, that's <laughs> overkill uh, by almost any reckoning. <laughs> uh, also, in, in fairness, a lot of high schools don't teach AP still, or, or only teach a little bit of it, or only give you a couple of course options uh, in the advanced placement realm. So uh, I think we should keep the, the, the AP, but I'm worried about other things going awry without the SAT and the ACT. I'm worried that the, the subjective admissions criteria that will get used instead by these selective colleges, like the University of California, are as are more vulnerable actually to corruptions of various kinds, favoritism, uh, rich parents getting new kinds of advantages for their kids, the lacrosse coach and the speech coach and the, uh, and the trip to Bhutan will end up counting for more. 
rather than less because there won't be an SAT score. Grade inflation in the high schools is going to be encouraged by kids whose GPA suddenly matters more because that's how they're going to be evaluated. I think a whole lot of things are going to turn out to not equalize, not equalize opportunity, which was what the University of California said it was trying to do. Um, I think we could widen the opportunity gaps uh, while pretending uh, to achieve greater equity. Well, the SAT was in fact designed to give equity, to let the, the, the talented kid from the obscure school in the middle of nowhere to have some kind of a way of showing that I too can perform at a high level, even though I didn't have all the fancy uh, uh, schools and credentials standing behind me. That's right. There's this huge irony that something that was invented to equalize opportunity so that uh, if you were applying to Princeton, you didn't have to come from Groton or, uh, uh, or Newton High School or Stuyvesant. Uh, you could come from um, uh, Colonel White High School in Dayton, Ohio, and be evaluated on a common metric uh, against which the admissions office at Princeton could judge you against the Groton student. Now, is, uh, that a, is that a personal reference? No, I typically, I purposely avoided personal references there. <laughs> but you did mention Dayton, Ohio, and I know you come from that part of the country. Well, I did spend ninth grade in, in Colonel White High School before I went off to a different school. Yeah. Okay. So, but the argument is that, okay, we need to appreciate all the talents of a student, their ability to work with others, their ability in different dimensions, whether it's athletics or theater or whatever. And by putting so much emphasis on this uh, sheer academic excellence, you are narrowing the range of people that you're bringing into higher education. And that's, that's why we have to have a, a broader look at this young person than just this test score. Well, that's, that's, that's all partly true. Um, it's also true that a lot of what's going on with the test optional or test abandonment has to do with racial equity um, and an effort by these selective colleges to create greater diversity in their entering classes, which the uh, uh, SAT and ACT stubbornly do not do because, uh, um, but, but here we get to the, the other problem that doing away with these tests is gonna, is gonna make worse which is the reason that um, African-American and Latino kids don't do so well on SATs is because they go to crummy schools. Um, and if we shoot the messenger, we're no longer going to have the proof that the crummy schools need to be fixed so that their SAT scores can go up and their opportunities can be equalized. We're going to be just papering over the uh, dire uh, K-12 schools that a lot of these kids attend. Um, and uh, we're going to actually diminish the push, ease the push for school reform. So you think that the main reason for tests is to hold educators to a high level of performance, especially when teaching the most disadvantaged segment of our society. And to make it possible for those that have to make selection decisions, uh, whether it's for entry into Princeton or, 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 or or uh, Yale Medical School, or um, or or anything else, to be able to have a common metric across a big diverse country, and not be totally dependent on these subjective measures that are idiosyncratic to the school they went to, or the teachers that they happen to have, uh, or the parents that they happen to have. So I think both of those things are going on. 
So why is it so bad if we, you know, have a little bit more corruption and therefore, you know, Harvard and Princeton have uh, a, a less elegant class, a less talented class, a more uh, diverse class or whatever. Uh, there's so many opportunities in higher education that a talented person is going to find themselves the opportunity to get into a pretty good college somewhere. And when you get to college, it really depends more on you than the college you're at anyhow. I don't disagree with anything you just said. And I encourage um, uh, kids I know to apply to any of the several hundred colleges that I think will give them a decent education if they want a decent education when they get there. Uh, and, if they, and if they work for it. Um, and um, I'm happy to see kids spread out across a wider array of colleges and other educational institutions. Um, but uh, as long as our country continues to put this premium on things like Ivy League and Stanford type educations, uh, we're still going to have 20,000 applicants for every thousand openings. Um, and that is going to require these institutions to make selection decisions. So they end up turning without a common metric to what's called holistic admissions, where you look at all these things in the kids in the kids uh, folder portfolio, um, including athletics and extracurriculars and uh, teacher recommendations. And some kids I've heard send send cakes they baked to the admissions office to demonstrate their culinary skills. Um, and so, yeah, all these other things get weighed and, and maybe it'll produce greater diversity, but uh, um, I defy you to get on the admissions committee for Harvard undergraduates um, and confront that stack of a thousand folders and have no common metric of any kind inside them. Well, okay, so here, here's the, the final concern that about maybe this is not such a bad idea and I want to hear how you think about this, because given the conflicts in our society today that are taking place along uh, racial lines, cultural lines, ethnic lines, uh, isn't the democracy that we have enjoyed for two centuries and more uh, at risk because the racial divide seems not to be going away? And isn't this just another one of those tools out there that's preventing us from um, bringing people together? So for the health of our society, we need to rethink some of these institutions that have been in place and have had their merits, but maybe it's time to reconsider them. I agree with about the problem, um, and I agree about the importance of solving it. Uh, if I thought that doing away with tests wasn't going to create new inequities, uh, and create fresh opportunities for advantage and, 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 and corruption and discrepancies, I'd probably be more in favor of doing away with the tests. The other thing I'm in favor of is for Harvard and Princeton and Yale and Stanford to double the size of their entering class and teach twice as many kids, um, because I think that would enormously able, enable them to uh, admit more uh, minority kids. Um, and achieve that goal by expanding rather than becoming endlessly more selective. I really do think that there are other solutions to this problem. I think New York City should not limit itself to nine um, exam schools uh, for its million kids. I think it should have 25 of them. So I think there are other solutions on the supply side. And uh, I don't think we're going to um, solve the problem just by fiddling with a selection mechanism. 
Well, the way they're going in New York is towards fewer and fewer exam schools and probably eliminating them altogether. Do you think? As president, very uh, foolish, I was going to use a harsher word, um, mayor and chancellor at the present time. And, and so what they, what they say is they have to do it for racial justice purposes. And you're saying it will have precisely the opposite effect. Well, the two previous chancellors, I mean, Joel Klein and Harold Levy expanded the number of exam schools um, in order to accommodate more kids. Um, the fact that, uh, uh, that the current crowd uh, wants to achieve equity by doing away with, with the identification of ability uh, or preparedness is, I think, ultimately dysfunctional. I understand the short-run political gain they see in it, but the long-run consequence for their city is going to be pretty bad. So it reduces the chance of New York children getting into the best colleges in the country if they can't. Yeah, it's also going to cause the, 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 the white and Asian kids they think they have too many of in these schools uh, to turn to private schools or to leave the city. I mean, they're, they're, the families are going to find other solutions for their kids. So maybe this is just a temporary thing and maybe this is just talk. Maybe this is after the pandemic is over, things will, re maybe we're in a sort of a disturbed mind right now. Uh, can we be optimistic about the future? I've uh, written a long paper that even you have seen a draft of along the way that tries to encourage state officials to not abandon, uh, abandon the ship, uh, be a ship of uh, standards and accountability. Uh, I think if there's hope for the future of American uh, mobility, American prosperity, uh, American unity, uh, we need to stick with this effort to raise standards and um, insist that schools meet them. And we're never going to do that if we uh, throw away all the measuring sticks. Well, Checker, this is a, a, a really important thing that you're working on. I think it's terribly important that we remind ourselves that without standards, we cannot be a country that is going to be leading the world in the 21st century as it has in the 20th century. So thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. It's been a pleasure as always. All the best, Paul. All right, thank you. I have been speaking with Chester Finn, former Assistant Secretary of Education and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He is the author of a recently released book entitled Learning in the Fast Lane, the Past, Present, and Future of Advanced Placement. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. We release a new podcast on the Education Next website every Monday at noon.